Let us now turn to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Please stand for God's holy word once you found your place. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So reading the word, you may be seated. To, to kind of recap timeline from last week, we talked about the, the, the angel Gabriel showed up in the temple and gave this great news to Zechariah. And like most, Zechariah was, was struggling to believe God's promise. And so he is silenced for his uh, unbelief and will not be able to speak until the angel's words are carried out. And from today's text, we could identify the time frame that was, today is six months later. And, and Gabriel shows up once again. But he, he shows up in a much different way than, than he did with Zechariah. He shows up in this, this little town known as Nazareth. Now, I, I want you to guess, except for the men in my Sunday school class who I, I, I gave you the spoiler for it, how many times in the Old Testament do you come across the word Nazareth, the town? How many times do you think? Town where Jesus would end up growing up. How many times do you find it in the Old Testament? Maybe five, ten, what do you think? It's in the New Testament 28 times. What about the Old Testament? Who thinks ten? Ten or more? Who thinks five or more? Okay, we got one for five or more. Who thinks between one and five? Okay, we got a few one to one to five. Who thinks it's not in the Old Testament at all? Got some winners over here. Nazareth is such a meaningless town in the Bible that it is not listed once in the Old Testament. Think about that. Zechariah, he he is a priest and he is considered righteous before God. Scripture tells us so. Where does he get the, the visit from the angel? He is in the holiest place in all of Israel, inside the temple in the city of God, Jerusalem. What, what about this, this woman named Mary? I doubt we could hardly call her that at this point in her life. You know, I, I know that the kids, they, they have different definitions for what that age between right before you're a teenager. You know, most scholars would put her age at 12 to 14 years old. My daughter would call her a tween. Well, what, what does that mean? That means the angel shows up and, and shows up to Mary. We, we don't know the exact circumstance if it was in her house, outside of her house, out in a field. We, we don't get those details. But we're, we're told that the angel Gabriel shows up and gives her this, this great news. This truly great news. 
I think most of us, we can identify with Zechariah and Elizabeth kind of going through life and really struggling and desiring something. And, and finally, when we're told we're going to have it, it seems too good to be true, and we, we really struggle with it and doubt. Like, how are you going to do that, God? That's impossible. Well, yeah, that's why he's God and we're not. It's impossible for us, but it's possible for God. But Mary, very similar to the faith of a child, has a very different response to to this. You know, she she says, let it be done as, as you have spoken. You know, a very, very holy and righteous response. But I, I want you to try to imagine this town, Nazareth. You know, it, we believe that there might have been, at, at its at its height, maybe 2,000 people living in this town. I have a, a map for you of Israel. Now, if you look real hard, you won't be able to see it at all because it's not on the map. <laughs> That's how small of a town it is. It would actually be uh, a little northeast of Megiddo here. You should know that, that town, Megiddo, because you're, you're going to be uh, seeing a lot of things going on in that town in a little while. The plains of Megiddo, Armageddon. But a little northeast of that is that town named Nazareth. Not much goes on there. We see later on in the New Testament when, when Jesus is calling Nathaniel to, to be one of his disciples. And he says, surely can anything good come from Nazareth? It has this reputation about it that this, this is a peasant town full of peasants and full of, of the nobodies of Israel that, that they, they will grow up, they'll be born in this farm town and they'll die in this farm town and that will be the extent of their life. Nothing as great is expected out of there. And it, you know, in our country, we would call it a flyover town. You know, it's, it's, those are the towns you get in an airplane, you fly over when you're, when you're going to Florida, New York or LA or Chicago. You know, nobody actually goes to these types of towns except those that live there. Or have family there. But that is exactly, you know, what is so beautiful is that God's ways are not our ways. You know, you and I, if we were going to imagine where would God call the Messiah from, we would assume Jerusalem. We would assume a great city like that. Or maybe Jericho or Hebron. One of the great mighty cities that, that we read about in the Old Testament. But he, he picks a place so remote that the, the Bible map makers didn't even bother putting it on the map. It's Nazareth. The only thing close to Nazareth you'll get in the Old Testament is the Nazarite vow, which comes from the people that end up settling in Nazareth and name it after the tribe. They are descendants of Joseph, Jacob's son. And through Joseph we have the line of David later on. And that is where it's very important for us to understand that uh, to be the king, you know, after the divided kingdoms, each kingdom had a, an expectation. One kingdom expected you, you had to be anointed in the north um, by God to be king. And in the south, you had to be a descendant of David. Well, what we'll see here is that Jesus fulfills both these. He is both anointed by God to be king, to be Messiah, but he is also a direct descendant on David, not just on his mother's side, but also on his father's side. When we look, and I want us to understand the, the culture a little bit with, with Joseph and Mary. Joseph is, uh, Mary is, is, is a young woman, as we know, you know, probably about 14 years old. We, we don't have the exact um, years for her, or do we have Joseph? All we know about Joseph is later on, he, he's described as a carpenter. And he's so prominent in the Bible, after Jesus turns 12, we hear nothing about him. We hear nothing about his death, nothing about those who mourned him, or anything like that. You know, he, and the reason I bring this up is 
oftentimes we look at Mary and Joseph and we elevate them to this status of kind of supernatural superhero saints that, that are so far above and beyond us. I don't mean to belittle them in, in any way, but what I want you to understand is when the angel Gabriel is saying to Mary, you have found grace in God. Well, what is the angel Gabriel saying? You know, last week we, we looked at the word John, what that meant at the very end of the sermon. And John literally means grace. So we said grace is coming because John the Baptist is about to be born. And, and through him he will show the Lamb of God and, and the grace of God will be given to all men that are willing to receive it. But what we have, have here with Mary, want us to understand is that God is bestowing upon her grace. Not because some, she is some super, supernatural saint, that she's somehow greater than all of us, but because in God's own choosing, God's own grace, He saw Mary and He said, "I am going to use her." He, if we look and we could look in the genealogies, you'll see that that she she is a direct descendant of David. Would she have known that at that time? We don't know, but what we we do know is that God used her mightily. I want you to see that God will use you mightily if you are willing to be used. Mary was willing. There was nothing special beyond the fact that that Mary loved God. Do you love God? And you can be used of God. Now that that is his one requirement, is that that you are obedient to him, that you love him genuinely. And that is what we see with Mary. We can look at at Joseph uh, as men, you know. Well, what a task to to raise the Son of God, to, to train him up on what it means to be a man. That would not be an easy task. And as I said, we, we don't get the, the great details of Joseph's life. We hear very little of Joseph and Mary af- after the events of his birth. But the reality is that God used them for some, one of the greatest things in the history of the world. So when you look at yourselves, I want us to think about who here comes from a small town? Okay, I come from a town called Princeton, down by Peru. It's not a very big town. It's bigger than Nazareth. You know, it's it's great claim to fame. Is it's next to Dixon, where Ronald Reagan came from. We all could think about, you know, nobody famous ever came from Nazareth up until this point. Maybe you come from a place where people aren't supposed to make it. They're not supposed to do well in life. That it's hard. It's a hard life. It's a poor life. That was Joseph and Mary. As they are betrothed here, what what we see in betrothal is. Um, there would be an agreement between the families, the, the son and, and the daughter, and the son and the father, and, the, and the, the daughter would come together in, the, in the, the, the groom's father's house, and they would say a prayer, and then they would go to the, the daughter, daughter's father's house, and they would also say a prayer. And then at that point in time, a bride price was paid, where money was given to the, the daughter's father's um, household. And at that point, the marriage was considered legally binding. It was not like our engagement system where you could easily break it off. They were considered married in all legal aspects. If Joseph wanted to divorce Mary, she, he would have to go through the same system that he would if she were his wife. The only thing that was, that was done is they were to be put apart for at least a year to show that Mary was pure, that Mary was a virgin. And at that point... Um, it, while she's doing that, Joseph would go off and he would build Mary a house by his father's house. It's very similar as, and we see the, um, the imagery Jesus uses in John 14 with the church being his bride. I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you. 
This is the, the Hebrew marriage culture of the day that Jesus is using. And it would have been the same for Joseph and Mary. So while we find out that, that she is betrothed, she, in all aspects of life in that day, would be considered Joseph's wife. So obviously this, this natural question that Mary has comes up. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will I conceive a child? And we get the answer. God will do it. The power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. And we'll, we'll get in future weeks how difficult this would have been for Mary because certainly Joseph would have been like, Mary, what's going on here? And the rest of the society would have been like, what's going on? And there was one, one punishment for that. It was death. They would have taken her outside the city and stoned her to death. It would not have been an easy life for Mary. So we understand when, when Gabriel is giving her, she's wondering what kind of greeting this is. This is a lot for a person to take in, especially a, a person of Mary's age. But she takes it in and she shows true faith in this. So I want to tell you, when, when you're facing things like this, when, when you're praying to God and He says, I'm going to do something great for you, and you think it's impossible, understand that it is not impossible. Just believe and be obedient. Trust God in the timing, and He will make it happen. He makes it happen for Mary. And praise God He does, because we're all benefactors of that. Her son grows up to die on a cross for the salvation of our very souls, so that our sins may be forgiven. I, I want to touch, before, before we move on, the word favor there, uh, about 1,400 years ago, was translated into Latin. And the word favor was dropped and they used the, word, the English word full. So it started to read that Mary was full of grace. And this teaching of, of Mary became prominent. And so they said, well, since Mary is full of grace, we could receive grace from Mary. And they made her a, a cohabitant of salvation. And that is where Mary worship began. And it is utterly wrong. Mary, Mary was bestowed grace by God, as we all are. Salvation comes through the grace of God, not by the grace of ourselves. Because we are utterly lacking in that. And so when we see that, I want us to understand that. We are not to give Hail Marys. And Mary is not bestowing grace. God bestows grace. Mary is a servant and a sister. And we should praise God for her. We should thank God that she was willing to be a servant. She was called upon to fulfill a task that most people would shudder at the idea of fulfilling. Being the mother of the Messiah. And all that meant in, in that world. As we go on, I want us to kind of portray the, the different aspects between last week's response with Zechariah. He had that response of, you know, how will this be? But Mary has a response that says, let it be. So in our lives, when, when you're facing those impossible things, we do not need to, to question God and how He will do it. He is God. Allow Him to take care of those details. I think it is okay and proper as we see Mary here wanting to know, you know, the she, she is a young woman that, that has had that talk with her parents about the birds and the bees. And, and she, she knows that there's certain steps that has to happen for, for her to have a child. But she, God has told her, I will take care of it as we go on. But I want us to, to look at what the angel Gabriel tells her exactly about her, her son, what he is going to be. She is told to name him Jesus. It literally means Savior or God saves. Now think about this. John last week, his name means grace. Zechariah and Elizabeth are told to name their son Grace. Mary is told to name her son Savior. 
In the Hebrew culture, names had meaning. It was, you never just picked a name because that was the name that sounded good. It went well with your last name. That's how we pick names. But the reality is they would pick names by what the meaning it had. And these, these names had very specific meanings. He is told, she is told that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. He is not only going to be the Savior to save his people, but he, in fact, is God's own Son. Think about that as, as Mary would be trying to process that. It's hard for us to, to comprehend exactly what that means. That Jesus himself is God. But then now at, at this point in history, the one who has always been, always will be, is the word, word of God himself, has now also become man. He has taken on flesh. He, he is becoming humanity as well. It does not mean at any point he puts the, his divinity aside but that he is also now human and that he can identify with us, face those temptations that we face and conquer them, fulfill the law as required by the prophets. And number three, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. You know, that's a pretty wonderful message to hear. If you, if you were a mother, you know, expecting a child, well, what's your child going to be like? Well, he's going to be God and king of the universe. That, that's a pretty good, good message to hear. I'm sure Mary's like, well, that's a pretty good retirement plan if my, my son is going to be king for all time. But she also knew that there would be opposition. Not everybody would be willing to say he's the Messiah. And I'm sure the king at the time, Herod, as we'll soon see, was not ready to not be king. But of course, th- this is in, in God's timeline, God's plan, and not how, how we as humans understand it. But she was also given a, 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 a tidbit uh, about Elizabeth. Her, her cousin is six months pregnant. Now her cousin is significantly older than she is. But at, at this news, she is so excited, she immediately goes off and travels to uh, see Elizabeth. Got a map here of Hebron I want to uh, show you guys. So from Nazareth to Jerusalem, it's a, about a hundred day journey if you're walking. And from there on, from Jerusalem to Hebron, uh, just a little southwest of Jerusalem, is about another 30 miles. It would have taken her over three months to get, th- get there. You know, John would have just about been born by the, by the time she gets there. And, and we, we get this encounter of what, what's going on. I'd, I'd like to, to read that to you now. And from verse 39, chapter 1 in Luke. In those days Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now we, we see right away, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit because her baby inside of her is so excited that Jesus is in his presence. The, 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 great, the great irony I find in this world, we often in this culture argue about the, the term fetus, what that means. The term fetus in Latin means baby. So when, when people want to argue about abortion and things of that, understand what they're saying, it's just a fetus. They're saying it's just a baby in Latin. And so when this baby inside of Elizabeth is jumping for joy, Elizabeth herself is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to focus on this because this is indeed important. 
Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit enables her to recognize the Messiah, even that he is not yet born. He recognizes that Mary is the mother of her Lord. I wonder today, do you recognize who your Lord is? I hope you do. If you don't, I I would ask you, do you know who the Holy Spirit is? It is the Holy Spirit who reveals Jesus to us. I would encourage you to pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal it to you if you do not know Him. And when we look and as we go on, we, we see the, the Holy Spirit gives this understanding to Elizabeth as He's given it to all of us who have called on the name of the Lord. And when we, we see Mary responding, she responds, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Does your spirit rejoice in God your Savior? Think about Mary. She, 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 the Holy Spirit is revealing to Mary what her son is. Who her son is. He is God her Savior. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And I would say indeed she is blessed because she has been saved by God her son. And you have been saved by God her Son as well if you've accepted Jesus Christ. All nations, all generations will call you blessed because at the end of your days you will spend eternity with Christ your Savior. For He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. I would ask you, have you received His mercy this day? Have you received the mercy of God? That mercy is what enables us to receive His grace, is what enables us not to face the right, rightful wrath of God that we deserve. But that little baby, as we're approaching Christmas season, we, we, we love the time, the candlelight services that we get to have, the presents that we'll share on Christmas, and those type of things. But Christmas really is about one thing. God came to be born as a human, to live a perfect life, to die for us. Christmas, as much as it is about life, it is about the death of the Savior. That is why He came to be, why He was born, why Mary will soon be told that that His his life will, will pierce her very own soul. How agonizing, painful it would be to be Mary watching Him on that cross. But you and I, we should feel that agony today. For we have sinned and we have caused that. We are the reasons why Jesus goes to the cross. So I ask you again, have you received His mercy this day? Have you received His grace? Have you accepted it? When you receive His grace, do you look at Jesus and do you see Lord and Savior? Or do you see a prophet? A wise man who who told great parables? Somebody that, that the religious people are way too excited about. Jesus freaks as we're called. Who is Jesus to you? He is Lord and God whether you like it or not. He has the ability to be your Savior, or He will be your judge. We will all stand before Him. What will we have done with His grace? Did we get down on our knee and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and enter into His presence? Or did we make His death in vain for our lives? Which is the the biggest blasphemy you could ever produce in your life. To say, Jesus, your death wasn't enough for me. I'll do it on my own. And you will find that you cannot do it on your own. He 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. So she she stays with him for she stays with Zechariah and Elizabeth for a little while. She would have been there when John is born. She most likely would have marveled at everything that, that happens when John is born. The whole the whole countryside, countryside was abuzz with gossip about what sort of child would John be? While it was much more hush-hush about what was going on with Mary, what sort of child would Jesus be? So what have you made of Jesus? Is he a baby that you put around your Christmas tree? A little ornamental figure? Or is he the Savior of your life? Is, is he the one that you get excited about on Easter? Or is it about candy, Easter bunnies? Over and over again, the, we have Jesus on one side, the world offers us something else. I don't have anything personal against bunnies, but they can't save you. Jesus and Jesus alone can save you. It's always about Jesus. If you can think of nothing else in your life to give God thanks for when we go next door, Jesus is what we should give God thanks for. Whether you have the hardest life and the world is just unfair, a day will come where your life will end and you have the opportunity to spend eternity with Jesus. Or if you reject that, you'll have the opportunity of your own choosing to spend life in eternity in hell, away from Jesus. The flames and the fire are very real. The torment is very real. But nothing will compare with eternal separation from God Almighty. So I encourage you this Thanksgiving, as you sit around the table with your family enjoying turkey and and all the type of things that your family likes to eat at this time, stop and don't just pray over the food. Give God thanks for what you have. The family that you'll be sitting around the table with. It's not about the stuff of life. The cars, the houses, the video games. Those come and go. It's the family. Cherish them while they're here. Praise God for them, for the time that you've had with them. Share the gospel with them so that they may be with you in eternity. I pray this day that your soul will magnify the Lord. That your spirits will rejoice in God your Savior. And that you will be blessed by His mercy. Today is the day to receive mercy. I encourage us, I close in prayer while we sing this final song of worship, that if you have not received Jesus as your Savior, come down, receive His mercy, and then join us in worship and fellowship and, and sharing a meal and breaking bread together as we give God thanks.